Ugh, darn it. Ugh, come on. Come on. Move. Move, I said. Curse these claws. Ugh. You really should have got a simpler outfit. Hey, come on. I, if I was going to dress up as Sienko in honor of this podcast, I'm going to do this correctly with accurate props. Yeah. If you keep carrying those props, you're going to be a ghost. Oh. Hey, hey, you didn't complain when you did She-Ra for your, car- for your cartoon catastrophe video. All I had to do was carry a sword for that. Um, I mean, I could have sworded you knew better. Oh, that, that pun is almost as painful as this heavy... Ah! There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The Penny and James can sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello, one and all. I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke to be a corgi. Welcome once again to the Pemmy and James kind of, sort of, hopefully funny cartoon podcast. And today is a sad, sad, sad day. Oh, it's not that. Okay, yeah, it really is that bad. (laughs) You see, today we're talking about a property that is actually near and dear to our hearts and was severely mangled in the translation from video game to American cartoon. Not that Capcom acknowledges this game much anymore anyways. Uh, no, no. Despite the wishes of one of its producers, who has since left the company, unfortunately. Well, can you blame him? Mm, not especially. Well, but we're avoiding the topic. Today we're talking about Darkstalkers. Well, the only other thing I was going to say on that topic is, well, at least they're not Konami. <laughs> Oh, don't get Chrissy started. <laughs> Those of you familiar with my other podcast, Gaming Street Regulars, knows full well that Chrissy holds a very large grudge against Konami. I have a couple of grudges with Konami, but that's besides the point. Yes, Darkstalkers, man. Um, ooh. I, I think this is one of the few cases where I can say something was actually worse than I remembered it being. And and that's saying something. But, you know, I can see where the creators of this were coming from. It's not hard to see why the fighting game craze of the 90s was so appealing to animation studios. Not only were they culturally pervasive, driving console sales and selling strategy guides, in addition to reviving the flagging arcade scene, but they featured ready-made core casts of colorful characters with trademark attacks and interwoven relationships. That's the stuff of animators' dreams right there. And they got squandered. They did. Multiple cartoons. But That also doesn't address one of the underlying problems. Despite these characters being tightly interwoven... There's still not enough character development beyond ending sequences when you beat the game, causing producers, directors, and writers to have to fill in the gaps to flesh out a setting that will be interesting enough to last a full season of stories. Or or in some cases, they decide just to throw everything out and make up their own crap. So Capcom had already proven themselves a hitmaker in this space with Street Fighter, which had been adapted into animation a few times at this point both in Japan and the States. More on those when we eventually do episodes on those subjects. But rest assured, they're coming. It is kind of just interesting, though. It's like Capcom, kind of out of nowhere, was just like, you know what? We need more recognition by the kiddos. Let's make cartoon shows based on our properties and and actually commissioned uh, three different companies to make cartoons based on uh, Mega Man, Street Fighter, and Darkstalkers. Yeah. And when Darkstalkers came to be, licensing company Graz Entertainment, who had worked with Capcom on the aforementioned Street Fighter cartoon, which aired on the USA Network, came knocking once again to bring this group of characters to syndication. They should have got Ruby Spears instead. (laughs) And that's sad. (laughs) Especially this era of Ruby Spears. Yeah. Now, the problem is, Darkstalkers as a core concept is considerably less kid-friendly than Street Fighter ever was, 
And Street Fighter isn't exactly that kid-friendly to begin with, but it's still not as odd a choice as, oh, Mortal Kombat. Oh, that's the one that's weirder than Darkstalkers. Yeah. Darkstalkers centers around a group of monstrous characters inspired by horror movie archetypes, and it features many more shades of moral grayness than the generally idealistic protagonists of Street Fighter and, indeed, the overwhelming majority of arcade and console titles available up to that point. Its female characters are also intensely sexualized, with Ooh. Succubus Morgan Aenslod very much fulfilling that demonic archetype, and Catgirl character Felicia being essentially naked, save for some strategically placed patches of fur. Well, Felicia, you could argue, is kind of innocent and naive in that game. Uh, Morgan sure ain't. <laughs> We're not necessarily trying to make a politically correct complaint here, but at the same time, we got to call this like it is. Yep. And, oh, good lord. So developer and writer Richard Muller believed he was up to the task of turning this motley crew into a motley cartoon. Muller's credits include several episodes of the real Ghostbusters, including the memorable syndicated episode Roller Ghoster. And he wrote the Halloween-themed Tiny Toons episode, Stuff That Goes Bump in the Night. So it's not like he was unfamiliar with making spooky things that were appropriate for all ages. Maybe he took a few too many creative liberties for starters. <laughs> yeah, well, he'd also be familiar with taking creative liberties because he also wrote a trio of episodes for the loose adaptation of the Double Dragon video games. Oh, that show. Oh. Still better than this. <laughs> Pam, are, are you going to make it through this episode, man? I, every, it seems like every minute I'm giving you more pain. <laughs> uh, like I said, it's... It's not the worst thing I've watched, but it, it's like most of the time when I watch stuff terrible, it's like it, it usually comes out being as bad as I expect it to be. Or if it's worse, I don't know. I, I, I'm I kind of like expected. This is way worse than I was expecting. I mean, this makes the Mega Man cartoon look good. <laughs> Granted, actually, now that you think about it, the quality in for a majority of the Mega Man episodes actually look pretty decent especially compared to this the animation okay. this is so clumsy and we can probably blame uh, some of the directors on this who uh, round out the core production group these directors include dora case and sue peters who are veterans of the fox x-men animated series and jk kim who would later go on to do a variety of work for disney i'm not saying these are necessarily bad creators but the buck has to stop somewhere also like, most of the stuff that Graz Entertainment worked on was usually a co-production with them. This one, I think, is just straight up them, if I remember right. Pretty much. Given all the people involved with this series, the simplified good versus evil plot of the cartoon, versus the somewhat deeper nature of the game's relationships and motivations, was inevitable. But it did mean turning the aforementioned Morrigan, who was very much an anti-hero in the games, into an out-and-out -out villain, working directly with the game's big bad, the alien plasma monster Pyron, right alongside her sworn enemy in the games, Vampire Lord Dmitri Maximoff. Yeah, and in this, at least she doesn't seem like, you know, happy about it, for lack of better words, or she she feels... They practically made her in the Starscream, let's be honest. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I also suppose executives just couldn't wrap their heads around a sexualized demonic man-killer being anywhere near heroic. And when I put it like that, I can kind of see their perspective. But at the same time, if they were taking such liberties, they could have easily recast her as another vampire or just a plain old sorceress. Oh, well. Morgan's also played by Saffron Henderson, who I know best as the voice of young Goku and an Gohan in the 90s dub of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z. Ah, okay. They have quite a few voice actors I'm quite fond of in this show, but they are not at their best in this show. <laughs> no, and chief among them would probably be Scott McNeil. Oh, Scott McNeil. I The the uh, Canadian Frank Welker, I call him that. And it's not... And, and this is not offense to Scott McNeil because I've actually met him. He's actually a pretty chill guy. 
he's I wouldn't say he's on the level qual as versatile as Frank Welker, but his list of cartoons he's done is up there because he he's got quite the filmography. And pretty much it's like if you've hired Canadian voice actors for your cartoon, good chance is Scott McNeil's in there. <laughs> Whether it be Bucky O'Hare, this show, the Street Fighter cartoon, Mega Man cartoon, straight to video Barbie movies, uh Transformers Beast Wars, Milo Pony Friendship is Magic, he's in it. <laughs> I actually know him best for his turn as Wolverine. In the uh, X-Men Evolution cartoon. Ah, oh, that's right. Like I said, if you hire Canadian voice actor, Scott McNeil's there. <laughs> He's mm-hmm. also done a lot of anime, too, because he was also a piccolo in the uh, Canadian dub of Dragon Ball Z. And he, in the He-Man Masters of the Universe 2000s revival, he did a lot of voices. Merman, Beastman, Stratos, Ramman, Clawful, and Cobra Khan. He also uh, took over as Cobra Commander for the later Deke version of the G.I. Joe cartoon. Yeah, so at at this point, we're basically uh, trying to avoid continuing with Darkstalkers. Uh, Dimitri is voiced by Michael Donovan, which is another voice actor I actually like. I know him best as Ryoga from the Ronma One Half dub, but he was also like the eggplant wizard in Captain Yen. He was. He's also Guile on the Street Fighter cartoon. He actually, I think, is either the current voice or one of the current voices, or was one of the current voices for uh, Spike uh, in Tom and Jerry Tales and a lot of the Tom and Jerry cartoons recently. Oh, nice. Uh, he's actually got quite a good resume, too. But, uh, yeah, his Dimitri voice is just... Ugh. I don't know who's to blame, but... yeah. And we'll quickly round out our voice actor chat with Lisa Ann Belly, who is uh, the performer behind Felicia and Sienko. We would know her as Tila from that 2000s Masters of the Universe reboot. And I also got to throw in uh, credit to uh, Gary Chalk, who is Donovan, who doesn't appear in any of these episodes that we watch. But I got to give credit to him because Gary Chalk has also appeared in a lot of cartoons. He's probably best known by Transformers fans as Optimus Primal from uh, Beast Wars. Uh, okay. Transformers Beast Wars. But he is also like King Hippo in Captain N. He's a uh, grounder in uh, the Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog. He actually got upgraded to Robotnik for Sonic Underground, if you want to consider that an upgrade. <laughs> hmm. But back to Lisa Ann, I, I just noticed she's made a cottage industry of voice scene video game femme fatales. She Ooh. dubbed the My Sheer Nui for Fatal Fury the Motion Picture into English. And on the Street Fighter cartoon, she was Cammy. And uh, Dragon Ball Z, she actually was Chi-Chi for a couple of movies. Oh, so. okay. Hey, and she was Overbright in uh, Transformers Cybertron. Uh, see, and with Scarlet in uh, G.I. Joe Spy Troops. So mm-hmm. that's cool. Uh, also on Gary Chalk, since I mentioned My Little Pony Friendship is Magic with Scott McNeil, Gary Chalk also appears in My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. He is uh, one of the Diamond Dogs. Oh, okay. Which, actually, so is Scott McNeil. (laughs) (laughs) Scott McNeil is uh, the golem-sounding one. So the rest of our cast of characters are split into camps of good or evil with one little twist. A new character named Harry Grimoire, a descendant of Merlin. So a character of British descent, bespectacled, and tied to a legacy of magic, leading him into a world of colorful characters with outrageous abilities. Now, where have I heard that before? You're a wizard, Harry! (laughs) As crazy as it sounds, this Harry predates the debut of the other, more famous wizarding protagonist by about two years. And I kind of doubt a cartoon about video game monsters was on J.K. Rowling's radar when she was writing the first book that made her one of the most famous authors in the world. I'm going to assume it's a coincidence, but it's still a hilarious coincidence. It is. Also, I'm just happy to get to say, you're a wizard, Eddie! <laughs> yes. One other credit I want to mention, though, on this was, I feel bad that I'm going to be hating on some of the voice acting in this because the voice director is Susan Blue, who has directed quite a few things. This is not her better work, I'm afraid, but because she was uh, RC on the original Transformers series. And she also did some work for uh, Filmation because she was uh, multiple female characters in the Filmation Ghostbuster cartoon and Bravestar. 
Okay, yeah. Not not to mention her performance as Stormer in Jim. Yeah. So. Just wanna yeah, it's, it's a shame. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh God, it's like I like a lot of these voice actors, but man, it, nobody feels like they're putting their 100% on this. Sephron Henderson as Morgan bounces between doing a fairly decent Scottish accent to just not even doing it half the time. So what we wound up with is a series that didn't capture the stylistic nature of the video games and in syndication did not leave a great impression. Darkstalkers lasted a single season and became a barely remembered blip. Proof that the 90s were not the perfect decade of cartoons that a lot of us remember it being thanks to the output of Warner, Disney, and Nickelodeon. Uh, And Cartoon Network. Yeah. So why cover it so early in this podcast's run, besides it being appropriate for Halloween? Well, story time, folks. When I was in college and met Pemmy for the first time online, he was fanboy crushing hard on Felicia. And I discovered for myself the charms of the Jiangxi, which is sort of a Chinese hybrid of vampire and zombie, Sienko. Or Lele in Japan. Yeah, I used to mad be obsessed with Felicia. They were our waifus before waifu was a term in the fandom popular lexicon. Oh, you had to use that word, didn't you? <laughs> the cringe, man. That, that's basically what it was. The cringe. <laughs> like, hey, come on. Is, is it really a post-adolescent life if we can't look back on aspects of it and, and cringe? No, this is this is true. And we both still have affection for these characters, just one more firmly rooted in reality and sensibility. Really. We swear. Totally. 100%. Don't look at us like that! I, I don't have this picture open of Felicia right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not hugging a Sienko plushie right now. <laughs> I wish I had one. <laughs> So, let's get started with the very first episode in broadcast order, Out of the Dark, which was written by Robert Mueller. So, Pyron has a spaceship? (laughs) Yeah, that's already the first big difference. And here, not only does he have a spaceship, but he's more world collector than world destroyer, making him more brainiac than Galactus, except without the brain. (laughs) Or other physical form. I guess they went that route because, you know, cartoon for kids or whatnot. Yeah. So his massive ship is cloaked from view of human astronauts. And we get the exposition between him and his ship's AI that 4,000 years ago, Earthlings revered Pyron as a god. But now they're not even useful to him. And don't remember him either. No. Oh. oh, God, it's that Star Trek episode all over again. <laughs> yeah. Except less clever. Yeah, I, I also got to say something about the voice actor playing Pyron, uh, Richard Newman. Is it just me, or is he channeling the heck out of Tim Curry in this? Yeah, I don't think you're necessarily wrong. And he could do worse for inspirations. It, it, it's like, it, all of, like, Pyron is just so over the top and so growly and just so... It, it was just like, when I was hearing this, it's like, it's like, that's not Tim Curry, but I think someone's doing their... Stay hardest to beat Tim Curry. <laughs> Anyhow, Pyron won't destroy the humans. He'll just turn to the old races to enslave them, starting with Dimitri. Oh, God. I, I gotta say one more thing about Pyron, though. Sure. The idea of someone imitating Tim Curry rather than just hiring Tim Curry is already sad. <laughs> <laughs> Given the budget this cartoon apparently ran under, Tim Curry may have been out of their price range. Which is also sad. But... I think he might have been busy with wild thornberries around this time. That's true. It's just, I know Tim Curry's usually one of those guys that, like, you offer him a job, he's there. And I'm fine with that because he's great. But, yeah. He picks up uh, Dimitri, who makes a lot of goofy faces for a vampire, like, He looks just cartoonish rather than, you know, evil or intimidating. Not to mention, he's considerably grayer than his uh, video game counterpart. And he has eyes. Like, not just, like, he has pupils and everything. Isn't his eyes usually just, like, you know, 
color fill or something in the games? Like, just red or something? I've seen it both ways. The fighting game uh, action sprite looks like it has pupils, but the profile pictures don't. He just looks so goofy in this. Yeah. It's like he went to Kid and Plays Barber. (laughs) So he's rousted out as somewhere in Europe, men with indistinct European accents are trying to unearth something. And they found a vampire. Because it's that kind of show. And we get to hear Michael Donovan do his worst Bella Gosi Romanian accent thing. Yeah, we hear it as he believes he's being lured into the sunlight. And we're already going to commercial. Jeez, programming formats sure have changed since the past Saturday morning stuff we reviewed. Oh no, we should feel sympathy for this vampire that they're going to make into the villain. <laughs> Even though, like, Darkstalkers is pretty morally gray, I guess. Oh no, he's like the main character. Does he really... Eh, you know what? Well, Morgan's the main character. Eh, never mind. Yeah, we're going to be doing a lot of this hemming and hawing, folks. Bear with us. It comes with the emotional attachment to the franchise we've got. So, of course, it's Pyron who woke him up during daylight, and Pyron insists that Dimitri bows before him. And becomes his general. Dimitri attacks, Pyron doesn't so much as flinch, and he fires back with better success. They have a battle of the energy beams, which reminds me of the dueling projectile mechanic in Darkstalkers 3. Is that in previous Darkstalkers games? Possibly. Well, I imagine this is a coincidence. Uh, most likely, because it doesn't look like they're really that familiar with this property. Right. So, Pyron asserts his dominance to a humble Dimitri. Maybe wow, I could phrase phrasing. that better. <laughs> phrasing! Yeah. Um, we're not talking the Iron Sheik method of humbling, folks. <laughs> and Pyron names the vampire his general to conquer the humans. Dimitri wonders why not destroy them, which raises questions. Don't destroy your food supply, Dimitri. I I also like how they tiptoe a lot around that. (laughs) But we'll get more into that later. For sure. But uh, yeah, I was wondering that too. I was like, uh, don't you freaking eat these guys (laughs) or suck their blood? But Pyron insists that the order should be humans serving the old races and the old races serve him. Promising Dimitri power, everlasting life, and all the amusements he can think of, Dimitri confidently agrees. Everlasting life? He's a vampire. Doesn't he already have that? (laughs) Uh, uh, Yeah, yet another question. (laughs) But the cartoon isn't going to give us time to ponder those, because we start hearing some bagpipe-like music as we return to Earth, with waves crashing against the shore, and a huge stone pillar rising from the ocean. And who's on top of this pillar? Morrigan! Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I just want to say that I actually got did get a chuckle out of her being abducted, because at first she's like, who would dare? And then like, well, I guess we'll just fly and see who it is. <laughs> she just kind of accepts it, like, ah! Whatever. <laughs> yep, she's the next contestant on the price. I, I mean, she's the next monster Pyron summons to his ship. And she's not happy to see Dimitri. No. And Dimitri's attempt to uh, humble her, I'm making like quotation marks when I, with my hands when I say that, uh, doesn't work out so well. They, they seem pretty evenly matched. Indeed, we actually see some techniques and hear some sound effects from the games. While Pyron mutters about them being primitives. And uh, they... Do some of their moves, which also look incredibly goofy in this cartoon. Pyron's ship AI rightly reminds him that they'll wreck the ship if he doesn't butt in. Good thing he's got that ship, AI. So again, Pyron asserts the chain of command, placing Morrigan under Dimitri's command and Dimitri under his command. Pyron seems very insistent on how things should be ordered for a being of chaotic plasma. That, that's another one of those scenes, though, I, I ironically kind of thought was funny because it was just Pyron's talking to them like they're freaking children. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm in command, then you, then you. <laughs> it's like, uh, 
I'm going to take what few chuckles I can get out of this show. Yeah, basically. The next thing we see is the werewolf John Talbane hunting a deer while Dimitri tries to add him to their ranks. He fails. Yeah, John rushes into a cave, clearly not interested and actually looking a little scared of the whole thing. And cartoonishly scared, I might add. He's like Mm -hmm. got bulging cartoon eyes, which does not make scary werewolf work but i also like how he goes into a cave and and dimitri's like where are you (laughs) it's like you literally saw him go into a cave he has better luck in egypt summoning up anacharsis pyramid in the middle of a modern city now this is one of the few times i will actually give this cartoon credit because their depiction of egypt is one of the least stereotyped depictions of it i've seen in a cartoon they look modern and completely not like our stereotypical images of Arabic lands. Also, Anacharis talks in gibberish. Yeah, Anacharis is mad as a hatter. Get a load of this dialogue for a first impression. Anacharis, the supreme pharaoh has awakened! All hail the imperial pudding! There are lizards in my pants! Welcome the Hittite ambassadors! Bring forth gravy and dancing frogs! Man. So is he like senile or something? I mean, he is really old. Morgan thinks he spent too much time in that pyramid. Take what you can get, I guess. Also, I want to point out something that I found really hilarious. The teleporter or tractor beam or whatever you want to call it that they're using makes the Aquaman fish telepathy sound from the Super Friends. I knew I recognized that from somewhere. Yeah, it's just like the do-do-do-do-do. It's like, that was driving me crazy. I was like, why is it making the Aquaman sound? I literally have only heard that sound effect in, like, the Super Friends, though it's so funny. We turn our attention now to a rustic Japanese temple where a monk's daily ritual is disrupted by the reawakening of Bishamonten, still cursed and resigned to his fate. And boy, howdy, that voice. Ouch. Mm. He literally says Reich instead of instead of like at that scene. I was just like, oh, God, really? Oh, especially in the mid-90s, you'd think people would know better. Yeah, I was just like, I, it's like as bad Japanese stereotype voice as you could possibly get in the 90s. I was just like, this is what it's like, or something like that. And I was just like, oh, oh, God, why? <laughs> ouch. That's just, ouch. Rounding out our villains, we turn to Australia, and a plane crash from the 1970s is the site of the return of Lord Raptor, the zombie rock star. Scott McNeil! (laughs) We'll have much more about Lord Raptor to discuss in the next episode. I I do feel like Scott McNeil feels like he's the guy giving it the most all in this. (laughs) I feel like a lot of the actors in this are kind of half-assing it, but Scott McNeil's like 100% in it. And he's a pretty good voice choice for Raptor. Oh, interesting note. A lot of the voice actors in this show... Reprise these roles for the dub of the the Darkstalkers anime. Yeah. And gave better performances, but, you know, they probably paid more, too. Oh, paid more for an anime dub? That's that's also sad. (laughs) So Pyron then states, now for the difficult ones. And when we return from another commercial break, the baddies turn their attention to a movie studio warehouse where we find Victor, the Frankenstein's monster archetype, alone. Why is he in a movie? (laughs) I have no clue. Uh, Oh, we forgot to mention Victor's voice actor. He's by uh, Ian James Corlett, who's also been in a lot of stuff. He was Mega Man in the Mega Man cartoon. And you want to hear a nice piece of irony? Mm -hmm. He's also in Captain N. You want to know who he voiced in that? Who was that? Dr. Wily. <laughs> uh, he actually appears in a lot of stuff. He's also in Beast Wars. He used to be in a lot of anime, but he stopped doing anime dubs because seemingly he doesn't 
like dubbing anime. But a uh, cool thing about Ian James Corlett, other than he's appeared in stuff as recent as that Pac-Man and the Ghostly Adventures cartoon, his daughter is actually in voice acting. Okay. And she was a uh, Sweetie Belle in My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. Oh, nice. I wanted to mention that because I, I just think that's cool that, you know, his child is also in the voice acting like he is. So Victor wants nothing to do with being summoned up. He just wants to be left alone. Which, you know, is to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Morgan's taunts notwithstanding, Dimitri now turns to the ocean and Rico. Also voiced by Scott McNeil. Mm-hmm. Oh, so is uh, Anacharis. I, I forgot to mention that. He's also is Scott McNeil. Is it Anacharis or Anacharis? I always said Anacharis, but I could be really wrong, honestly. Either of us could be wrong on this. But uh, Riku is responsible for a running gag in this show that uh, is one of the few things that is funny because they I don't think they do it in this episode, but almost every episode he appears in, someone remarks, you're awfully attractive for a fish man. <laughs> and he knows it because he's self-absorbed and also quite alone and not at all interested in siding with a vampire. Nope. But is also kind of heroic despite being egotistical. So that's yep. something. Absolutely. And then in the Great North, Bigfoot, who is Sasquatch in the games, refuses to endanger his people, and they pelt the transporter with snowballs. Why did they change his name anyways? What's up with that? <laughs> I have no clue. I mean, American audiences would be familiar with the concept of a Sasquatch at this point. I mean, it's literally the same thing. <laughs> I, I, uh, you know... The snowballs arrive intact to Pyron's ship, leaving Morgan very unamused and egging Dimitri to destroy them. Which he he almost does, but Pyron steps in because, all right, whatever. Yep. The collection, a quote, Pyron must be whole. Also, man, they make Dimitri really incompetent in this show. Like, I, I can understand making him a villain. He is a vampire, but man, could you have at least made him into a competent villain? Yeah. Considering their relationship with each other, I will begrudgingly admit that making Morgan into, like, kind of a Starscream does kind of work for her personality, even though I wouldn't ever cast her as straight-up villain. It, it does kind of work because she just wants to, you know, get rid of him and take over. <laughs> So finally, in New York, we find Felicia storming out of an audition for Cats and right into a heavy rainstorm. Ha, oh, Cats, because, you know, she's a cat. Ha, 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 ha. And her costume, she's told, is out of date. How can anybody look... Okay, wait, no. I was going to say, how can anybody look at that costume and say no? And then I remembered, oh, right, they altered it from the uh, video game. Hmm. Gave her a weird jewel thing in the middle for uh, of her cleavage for some reason or um at at the same time even looking at her modified i'd still have a hard time saying no i would except i i would probably agree with you 20 years ago now i can't like look at any of these characters because Man, these animators can't draw faces very good. Uh, if we saw this version translated properly to real life, then... Yeah, probably. Yeah, if, if this was a real person came in that outfit, I'd probably be like, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, the teleporter does not look at all good to her, and she races through traffic to reach the sorcerer. <laughs> Here we go, folks. Uh, I got and so she even many... turns into a cat to evade detection. And as Dimitri curses her vanishing act, we find the estate belongs to the Grimoire family. And young Harry opens the door to the mewing cat, bringing it in from the pouring rain. You're a wizard, Harry! <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw it in there again. Now on Pyron's ship, Morgan is insisting they don't need the others, but Dimitri insists if he can get the sorcerer who Felicia disappeared near, he'll find her. Oh, boys. And seemingly that sorcerer was like 300 years ago or something. Yeah. 
we will get there in a moment. Harry wakes up to find Felicia having reverted back to humanoid form, insisting she speak to the sorcerer. Harry has no idea of any of it, but Felicia insists this is the home of Elijah Grimore, who Harry says died before the Civil War. One pause here. Just po- I just want to prove that this that Harry obviously hasn't gone through puberty because if he had and he woke up and saw like a half dressed girl in his room, he probably would have been all he'd be like look up to heaven and like thank God. <laughs> nope, Harry but ha- must not have gone through puberty because he won't believe anything she says. When he should be literally hanging on her every word if he had gone through it. But when Dimitri's projection pops up in the room, he's a believer, folks. I also want to throw out something here. Like, seemingly like his grandfather died before the Civil War, but Felicia is familiar with him, which makes no sense because according to the game, she's like, what, 16, 18? Hmm. Well... Then again, the placement of when the games take place is questionable. But regardless, unlike most of the characters who are like hundreds of years old, Felicia actually isn't. She's actually the age of a normal human. Right. But then again, getting stuff accurate in this show? Ha! Right. So now Harry's caught in the transporter, and Felicia breaks its grip via good old-fashioned defenestration. Defenestration. You know, the act of throwing somebody through a window. All right. <laughs> yeah, there's a word for that, if you can believe it or not. I never knew that. <laughs> and off they run into the city. Because, you know, that's the best thing. To, you know, whatever. That Whatever. Take the... <sighs> so we turn our attention back to the good ship Lollipop. <laughs> you can tell what I think of this cartoon by the level of snark I'm giving it at this point. Pyron's addressing his motley crew, making sure Dimitri has his orders down, and getting the most half-hearted oath of loyalty ever out of the whole bunch. I, I don't think you could ever do less. Like, just... <sighs> they look and sound like they care about that oath just about as much as I care about watching this cartoon. <laughs> Meanwhile, Rico and Bigfoot are working on a truce, and Victor makes his way home somehow to find his creator is a corpse. But they still serve loyally. I I got two issues with this. One, that Victor had been walking God knows how long. And how far. Yeah, and seemingly no reactions to him. No one's noticed him. But also that, like, this butler, like, immediately believes him just because it is immediately believes him and is immediately okay with him as soon as he mentions, you know, Igor. It went from, who the heck are you and get out of here to, oh, you knew my great-grandfather. Hey, come in. <laughs> He's really okay with this freaking Frankenstein monster guy. And as for Harry, he's just reveling in his past day, not wanting to go home from Felicia's apartment, and insisting he can help Felicia fight evil. Kill me. Kill me now. His scene where he's talking to Felicia is just a testament to how bad this animation is, because they can't even they can't even animate him just sitting there talking to her and get it right. Because he keeps, like, wobbling, like, forward and around while he's talking to her, like he's having a fit or something. It, like, he gets, like, close up to the camera and then away from it. Like, he gets up out of his chair and walks up to her and then walks down. It's so clumsy. This oh. is, like, one of the worst scenes of just having a character talk that I've ever seen. And that's one of the easiest things to animate. So to round out the episode, Felicia thinks it's too dangerous for someone without training. But then Harry demonstrates he can levitate giving her some comfort. And wait just a minute. First, he didn't believe in any of this magic stuff, and now suddenly he's levitating? (laughs) Yeah, that was what I thought, too. I was like, either this kid just randomly got his powers, like, from mentioning he had a sorcerer family, or he was playing dumb. But playing dumb would require, you know, talented writing, so... (laughs) 
Okay, uh, we're going to each get a stiff drink, and then we'll be right back after this commercial break. Darkstalkers will return. On the next Pemmy and James podcast, it's Halloween weekend, and we're checking out another monstrous mashup from Saturday Morning History, The Drag Pack. Hanna-Barbera gave the world teenage descendants of some of the most famous movie monsters of them all, matching their wits against Dr. Dredd and his goon squad in one of the most pun-filled productions this side of the Groovy Ghoulies. We drag pack whack in two weeks. I assure you, it makes sense in context. And now, back to Darkstalkers. Okay, now it's my turn to take the brunt of the pain. Well, before we get into that, <laughs> I, I just want to mention a couple more things about that last show. Okay. That scene where, like, freaking Felicia just sits on the bed and talks to him, and her eyes are, like, half oh, half lit, and it looks like she's being as sexual as you can in this cartoon, and I'm just kind of like, God, somebody call the FBI. <laughs> yeah, I was getting... Game of Thrones flashbacks from when Marjorie Terrell was trying to seduce the youngest son of uh, what's her name? Oh yeah. man! Oh, Justin's going to be so ashamed of me for forgetting this name. <laughs> I I can't help you there. I've actually never watched Game of Thrones. Cersei Lannister. Ah. Uh, also, I want to say that I think it's awfully weird that they had to change Pyron from destroying all planets to collecting planets, but we're okay with showing a corpse. Yeah. Because uh, that's kind of messed up. <laughs> so are we ready to uh, move on to episode six? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I was hoping you'd say no. <sighs> okay. So, Morgan and Dimitri, who, by the way, is closer to on model from the games than he was in the previous episode now, with his eyes being pupilless. Sometimes. Yeah. They're bickering yet again as they watch a promo for a tabloid news show featuring Bigfoot showing the moon. <laughs> and Morgan's like, oh, they can get the, they can get the Bigfoots, but you can't. Yeah, the gist, the gist of the moment here is that Dimitri is trying to explain his ability to recruit more help because there's so few Darkstalkers left, with Morgan theorizing they're being hunted, but Dimitri dismissing that idea. You know, I just got a thought randomly. Okay. How the heck is Victor a freaking Darkstalker? He was, like, man-made. That's a fair question. That's okay. a very, very <laughs> fair question. Because, I mean, in the game, I don't... I mean, they're the Dark Sucker blood, but I think he's just in there because he's, you know, a monster. I don't know if they directly say he's a part Dark Sucker or anything, but in this, it's he's obviously a Dark Sucker, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but we transition now to a coastal part of Cape Town, South Africa, where a werewolf who is not John Talbane, but Henrik Parr, we can tell because he has a different color scheme, and he's got a suspender attached to his pants. Because Even though they still look awfully similar. Yeah, you know, reuse a character model when you can. Saves mm. money. Because God, this show needs to. Yeah. <laughs> and Henrik is called out by... 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 His thank you. I can't do it. I just can't do it. It's a thank you. It's a thank you. It's Lele. It's a thank you. Yeah, it's my favorite dark stalker, and arguably my favorite fighting game character of all time. And this incarnation of her is a freaking hot mess. They couldn't even get the colors right. Yeah. I, her how did that happen? Her outfit colors are entirely different, with a sash which is the same color as her skin tone, which is a massive distraction. Her skin isn't even blue, despite have, still having the cheek makeup. And instead of a series of hidden weapons, her claws are a sort of techno-magic that transform into her other weapons. And they act as fingers for some reason. Well, the claws, she kind of does that sometimes in the game, despite, you know... Them not yeah. being your real hands. Yeah. 
Also, as we mentioned, she's voiced by the same performer as Felicia, and the accent, it's not stereotypical, but I wouldn't call it authentic either. Not that my ear is especially trained for Chinese accents, but she just sounds generically foreign. Pretty much. Well, on the bright side, at least she sounds better than Bishamon. Yeah, yeah, her, her English is correct. See, but man, how did you go from a character whose whole color scheme was like blue, purple, and yellow, and get like red? <laughs> red and mauve. I, I mean, I, I at least the other characters are at least close to their color schemes. How did mm-hmm. they mess that one up so badly? So the werewolf is her prey for his crimes against the humans, who he sees as weaker and dumber than him. Who are you to judge me, he asks. The Lady of Mercy, Sienko's patron, is the judge. She's basically the executioner as she sets her claws to puree. Yep. And off camera. (laughs) Yeah. Because, you know, it's a kid's show. But hey, it's a kid's show that just highly suggested somebody got killed, so... After the commercial break... We're back at the Grimoria State as Felicia arrives to Harry, having discovered via the internet what went down in Cape Town, described as an assault on par by an animal of unusual size. I don't believe they exist. (laughs) Also, I like that Felicia has learned how to uh, disguise herself by the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle method of wearing a trench coat and a hat. (laughs) And she also has tied her hair into a neat little bun. And somehow made her hands look reasonably flesh-colored? That, that admittedly, is a, is a neat trick. <laughs> if we can figure out how. And shrink them, but yeah. regardless. Anyhow, Harry's fact check indicated there were no large predators left on the cape. So he surmises it's a dark stalker. It takes some convincing, but Felicia agrees to ask Rico to check it out. And thankfully, we're spared seeing much of Harry in this episode. Mm-hmm. Small favors, we'll take them. (laughs) Yeah. Meanwhile, on the good ship Lollipop, Morrigan is insisting to check out why the light representing Par went out, and Dimitri is still boasting of invincibility, despite the ship's AI asking exactly the right questions. Which, by the way, the uh, ship AI is also Ian James Corlett. I just saw that in the credits, so... Dimitri remains incredulous, but since Lord Raptor is already in South Africa, he'll have him take a look-see, which the zombie agrees to in the wake of an awful previous concert. At least he still gets work, I guess. (laughs) Now, in theory, Raptor should be a character who appeals to me. He's the perfect opportunity to poke fun at the old rock stars. The problem is, the majority of the gags are fairly surface-level. Simply him dropping the names of songs. Maybe the sorts of gags I want are in other episodes, but based on the two I watched, I'm not going to go looking anytime soon. Uh, at least Scott McNeil sounds like he's having fun with the character, yeah. so at least there's that. Anyhow, here he named Czech songs from Paul McCartney, Live and Let Die, and it's still rock and roll to me, which is Billy Joel, of course, as he agrees to go take a look for who did in our erstwhile werewolf. I have to say, it's still rock and roll to me. Felt really forced, but you know, yeah. and it's not going to get any better. And at least they tried, I guess. Back in Cape Town, Raptor complains he's better off chasing a wild goose until he actually finds Sienko. She proclaims herself a hunter of evil, and was surprised her prey came to her. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think we get much of the quotation marks relationship that you get with Hesenkyo and Lord Raptor in the games. No, in the games, Raptor is madly in love with Hesenkyo. Much to her begrudgment. Yeah. (laughs) I've seen some surprisingly cute artwork about that. Which, saying cute and Lord Raptor is a thing. Yeah. Also, pity they don't use Lord Raptor's theme from Darkstalkers. His theme music in that game is freaking rockin'. Songs from artists ranging from Martha and the Vandellas to Queen are all name-checked as Sienko keeps pressing Raptor on who sent him, destroying his Stratocaster in the process. That's just rude. (laughs) 
Riku eventually arrives, and Sienko assumes he's Raptor's backup. But Riku insists he's not evil. But though he's strangely attractive for a fish man, there's that running gag, she doesn't buy it. There's not much positive I can say about this show, but that running gag is actually amusing. Because <laughs> it happens literally every time. Riku fends off Raptor with his poison gas attack, and here Sienko says that as a ghost, it won't work on her. So here's more changes from Sienko's gaming roots, because as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, she's actually a Jiangxi, you know, the hybrid of vampire and zombie from Chinese mythology. I guess that was too much for either kids or animation executives to wrap their heads around. <laughs> You know what? I, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Richard Muller's like, what the heck is a Jiangxi? Or what the heck is a Sankyo? And Capcom was just like, eh, she's a ghost. It's like, all right. <laughs> or he just didn't understand. It's like, eh, it's a ghost. I played Phantom Fighter on the uh, Nintendo. <laughs> Which is a game all about Jiangxi. Yeah. Anyhow, Raptor gets beamed back up, name-dropping more songs in rapid succession, and Goodbye Yellow Brick Road might be the most forced one of the bunch. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and he shouts after Dimitri. Sienko recognizes that name, but returns her attention to Rikuo with a deadly attack just before the next commercial break. They did your girl dirty, man. I know. I know. Once we return, Rikuo calls her a coward for attacking him unarmed, and she relents so he can regroup. To which he... Freaking throws a tsunami at her. <laughs> She's still insisting that he's evil and all Darkstalkers must be destroyed. And he has to encase her in a bubble attack to finally stop her long enough to listen to him. Sienko, get out of there now before you get turned into a cherry. Ha! If you didn't make that joke, I would have. Can't lie. When I saw that scene, I started hearing... Oh, no, it's in my head! For those of you who don't get the joke, we're talking about the Taito arcade game Bubble Bobble. I love that game. Yeah, we're just trying to dull the pain right now. He emphatically says he rejects Dimitri and was only at Cape Town investigating who killed Far, realizing it was Sienko acting under the orders of the Lady of Mercy. Boy, they're vague with this Lady of Mercy girl. Yeah. Sien apologizes for attacking, explaining it's been so long since she heard the name Dimitri. And cue the flashback. Boy, there's so many problems. The short version is Dimitri arrives at her home, posing as an art collector, and, and his father, her father is ordered to accept him in. After all, you don't let a vampire in without them being invited in. And it coincides with the disappearance of her mother, despite her father saying nothing was wrong. On Dimitri's second visit, Sien is woken up and finds Dimitri, who paralyzes her with his magic. Sien's sister, Mai Ling, knocks her out of it. They make a badly animated break for it, but Dimitri catches Mai Ling, who begs Sienko to run. It'd be the last time the sisters would see each other. Pemi, the floor is yours! <sighs> okay, look, before I even get into... The problems here, I just want to say, <laughs> whoa, 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 that scene where they make the break for it, it literally, they just pad the freaking cell. <laughs> they just move the cell. They don't animate anything. It's so hysterically lazy and bad. <laughs> oh, that scene's so terrible. But no, here's the thing. Hisenko isn't just one person. She's two people, at least in the game. She's Lele and her sister Mei Ling. And her sister Mei Ling in Japan. Oh, yeah. But anyways, they merge together to get give her superpowers and the or furthermore powers where Hisenkyo has this uh shoot, what do you call it? The uh the ward or uh we'll call it, let's just call it a talisman for now. Talisman. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. Her sister takes the form of a talisman that appears on her head that she uses for additional power and in the games they can actually there's uh moves you can do to kind of separate them out in this she's dead dimitri has taken out all of hasekyo's family and has drained their blood off screen it it highly suggests that's what happens without saying that's what happens pretty much 
And now things get even worse as far as divergences. We next see a destitute, starving Sienko arriving at an abandoned temple, finding what she thinks was rice. She desperately eats it without thinking, and finds out too late that it was ground topaz, which transformed her into her current ghostly state. There's so many things wrong with that, I don't even know where to start. <sighs> the Lady of Mercy then appears, and entrusts her to hunt those who would harm humanity. And... Because, <laughs> like, she's dead. Oh, I mean, she's dead now, I guess. I mean, if you ate ground topaz, I'm sure you're gonna die. <laughs> but, um... In the games, it's like, you know, she she died and she was she made a deal to be resurrected with her sister because they're both like, uh, I think, 11 or something. And somehow mm-hmm. merging them together makes them into, you know, sexy 18 year old. I don't know. But <laughs> but they get resurrected to kill the Darkstalkers and here uh, resurrected as a Jing Shi because, you know, they're sort of zombies. But no, not here. She eats crown topaz and becomes a ghost. And her sister's dead. What the what the heck? We're gonna have to keep plowing on or else we're it we're gonna just wallow at this rate. How how'd you mistake ground topaz for rice? I don't know. But the point is, she's still trying to find Dimitri, who at this very moment is scolding Lord Raptor for his failure. Okay, I, I gotta ask a question because I'm having a memory lapse. Okay, did Dimitri have anything to do with her origin in the orig- in the game? In the game, it is not stated what monster attacked her family. Okay, that, I thought so. But you know, let's make it Dimitri so she has a reason for revenge. <laughs> I, I, of all the things they changed in the origin, this is the one I have the least complaint with. It. it actually makes reasonable sense for a storytelling perspective, to be honest. That's about the only thing that makes sense, but... Crown Topaz? So, (sighs) Raptor's pleas about his Stratocaster being broken fall upon deaf ears, and Morrigan is highly amused at the state of things. I still want to say that's just rude to not take sympathy and not replace his Stratocaster. Absolutely rude. Dimitri orders her to go after what bested Raptor, and Morgan eventually arrives in Cape Town and gets Sienko's attention, and our ghostly gal flies off to battle her with Rico wishing her luck. Hey, and, and we got a fight scene. Yeah, a fight scene. After introductions, Morgan generates a two-handed sword, something she's I don't think she's, I've ever seen her use in the games, though occasionally her wings will resemble blades. I don't think they ever do that in this cartoon, which is sad because that just feels like something that would be like made for a cartoon show as far as elements in that game. Absolutely. And so they duel for a bit with Sian gaining the upper hand and then Morrigan plays her trump card. She can bring Dimitri to Sienko. Eh, boy, howdy. <laughs> Sian says she'll spare Morrigan if she actually makes good on her word. Which she does. <laughs> yeah, they have to make a show of it. And indeed, their little uh, pyrotechnic display takes in Rico, who, while he's on a sky car attached to a cable getting to where they're fighting, thinks they're having an epic battle. I actually don't remember what happens at this point. <laughs> well, what happens is Dimitri also comes in, and Morgan lies to him that Sien wants to sign on with them. Oh, that's right. That's right. But once Dimitri gets his look at Hsien, he remembers her, and we see the flashback, but the outfits are entirely different. Consistency in this cartoon? Nah. Though he does mention that her sister was delicious, and it's just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Riku breaks up the the trance that Dimitri has put her under, and Sienko snaps out of it and vows never again. We see some more game techniques here and there, with Sienko giving Dimitri a flat-top haircut. Then, uh-oh, here comes the sun! Yep, and it's not alright, no matter what George Harrison says. <laughs> Man, 
is it just me or do vampires just not have watches or pocket watches or something? Because, man, they seem to have bad habits not realizing when the sun's coming up. When Morrigan refuses to aid Dimitri, he summons his coffin and retreats therein. Morrigan gets caught by Rico, but Sien won't break her word. Rico made no such promise. And Morrigan calls on the ship to take her and Dimitri back. Don't! Which I gotta... Okay. Thank you. For God's sakes. You you wanted to kill this guy for so long, and you just let him sit there in the coffin. He is there for you to just... Mm, mm. Nope. Nope. She, she doesn't. She just starts crying as he gets away. Even in his defeat. I mean, even at one scene, they actually open it up. He's like, ah, and then close it. I'm just like, just, just, just stare! <laughs> Do it! <laughs> Rico assures her there will be a next time, and she saved many others, to which the Lady of Mercy agrees. Also decides that Riku is also her son, or child, or whatever she her, says. One of her children, even though he's not human, because he's been so devoted to doing good. Also, he's incredibly attractive for a <laughs> yeah. It would have been hilarious if she said that, though. <laughs> Sien says to Rico she will answer his call if needed and they both vanish away from prying eyes. To which, oh, hey, we, we get back to Harry. Hey. Yeah, the episode ends with him recapping the events to Felicia. They were useless. You know what? That's fine. I'm fine with having an episode where we don't have to deal with Harry, despite the fact I like Felicia a lot. Okay, may I have the soapbox, please? Yes, go for it. The credits for this show list five consultants from Capcom on this series. That none of them addressed all the issues and discrepancies between this Sienko and the game is utterly depressing. Killing Mai Ling and not having her be the talisman accompanying Sien, taking away her blue skin, messing up the design of her outfit and claws, and turning her into a grim, humorless warrior instead of leaning into the silliness that makes her one of the most unique fighting game characters ever created, ruins her appeal completely. This version of the character is just drained of the fun and joy of the fighting game original. And that makes me a sad, sad fanboy. It's not like they did Felicia much... Okay, it's not like they did Felicia much justice either. I mean, they made her into Team Mom, which she's supposed to be, like, you know, kind of childish and naive, but... Granted, I guess at least her colors are right. Yeah. That's that's the thing that mind-boggles me the most with the Sankyo, is just how, how do you do... How? How? How did you get the colors that wrong? How can you... I, I can't even wrap my head around it. You know, people complain in Captain N that Mega Man's green. That is a heck of a lot closer than what they did to Senkyo. At least, like, blue and green are, like, to the side of each other on the color wheel. <laughs> Not, like, the complete opposite. So, at this point, the Darkstalkers would resurface in anime form with a couple original video animations that, as Pemi said, would be dubbed into English including some of the cast of this show. And after that, Bupkis. He, well, no, there was uh, comic books by uh, Studio Udon. Right, there were comics, but as far as cartoons, nothing more. Nope. Yeah, the, the series has kind of gotten the shaft. Then again, every fighting game Capcom created has gotten the shaft that's not Street Fighter. So, Well, that's because Street Fighter is what makes money. Yeah, yeah, that does seem to be Capcom's kind of M.O. If it's not Street Fighter and it's not Resident Evil, we don't seem to give much of a care. Or Monster Hunter. Or, or Phoenix Monster. Wright. Yeah, well, there was a pause with Phoenix Wright for a while there, but yeah, pretty much. But yeah, it's like, we least we got Mega Man 11 after how long? But, how many cancellations? <laughs> but it's just the state of the video game industry, unfortunately, these days. AAA game releases are so budget-intensive and so do-or-die that the big companies aren't willing to take the risks on properties that they believe have fallen to the wayside. Yeah, I mean, a good example of that was, uh, what was it, Resident Evil 6, uh, which is like 
by many claimed to be the worst game in the series, was so badly received it almost bankrupted Capcom at one point. Granted, they made up for that with seven. Yeah. Boy, howdy, did they? But, but still, I mean, the thing is, I kind of like what they were doing for. There was this period where Capcom was started kind of reinventing their games, but on a lower budget. Like they made that new Strider game, and they made like a new Commando game. Not Commando, to be precise. Well, I, they did a Commando Commando one too. Oh, okay. But I mean, they did a more reduced like budgets, like kind of like indie level. And I kind of wish they'd do that. I would be cool with like, I don't know, a low budget Darkstalker game as long as it plays good. Get the folks who did Skullgirls uh, minus the one problematic guy well, to work on it. He's not involved anymore. so Right. But still, don't get him. Dude, like, oh god, uh, the character designer for Skullgirls would frick, I can't remember his name at the moment, would frickin' love that. <laughs> I would totally, totally play a Darkstalker game made by them. That would be amazing. Probably be pretty budget, though, because their games, they put a lot of money and effort into the Skullgirls games, and it yeah. shows. Um, at this point, I think we should just close the coffin lid on Darkstalkers. Oh, dude, no. Like, you, you've given me a dream now, dude. I, I'm now imagining Darkstalkers with Skullgirl-level animation, and it's just like, I, I've got these star eyes and everything, because it's just an amazing idea. Well, I don't mean close the coffin lid on the idea, but on the cartoon. Oh, well, yeah. This thing's god-awful. Yeah. I mean, this thing's... I mean, like I said, they can't even draw just characters close-up talking and get that right. They... The animation is so clumsy, they even mess that up. And it's annoying because it, there's moments where it looks like they're trying, but just failing. Because a lot of cartoons will be cheap and, you know, just have the character stand there and just move the mouth. And they're at least not doing that. But, and having characters move around while they talk is more convincing. However, they're not doing that well, and it just makes everything look clumsy and bad and... Oh, it's so bad. It makes like the Mega Man cartoon look like he, look like a Miyazaki film. So, are those your closing thoughts? This is some of the worst animation I've seen in the nineties. Like, oh, uh, this is a contender for worst video game based cartoon I've ever seen. I haven't rewatched Mortal Kombat, so I, I can't say how good or bad that is. I'd say this is worse than. Sp- Base Ace and everything that's in Saturday Morning Supercade. The only thing I can think that would reasonably contend with this for worse is probably that Bubsy pilot. Oh. Oh, fair. And I am not looking forward to the day we take a look at that and the Battletoads pilot. Boy. Oh, I already did reviews of those. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that either. That Bubsy... Most my hate, most people hate Bubsy because of like just he's an annoying character or Bubsy 3D. Um, um, we should probably save that for for that episode. Fair point. I'm yeah. sorry, Bubsy does stuff to me. <laughs> Hateful <So>, stuff. <laughs> in honor of our blue haired gals, let's go. Let's go restock the cereal with some blueberry. Uh, booberry, I mean. See ya. Yep. The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.